Hey everyone, it's Maggie and Megan and welcome to our third episode of Shows Over Bros. Every episode we sit down to dive into, dissect and debate absolutely everything we love about our favorite television shows, starting with our all-time favorite and most formative genre, early 2000s teen dramas. On today's episode, we're going deep on the topic of relationships. I think this is maybe our most fun and spiciest episode today. I sure yeah? hope so. I sure hope so. I definitely think this is the topic that I've been the most excited to talk about so far. I completely agree. I mean, we all know that this is the reason that we, at least speaking for myself, and speaking for you, I think. And I think most people. I think pretty much everyone watches these shows. Mm-hmm. Kind of regardless of what's going on in the crazy plots, anything like that. The relationships are what keep these shows going and what make them what they are. I've put up with a lot of crazy plots for the sake of a relationship in one of these shows. Yeah. All of these shows. <laughs> and I, All of these shows. And I think what's special about what these shows have in common is that they're really, really strong and not just like the romantic arcs, but also the friendship arcs, the parent-child yep. relationships, mm-hmm. all different types of relationships. And it's... It's their strength, for sure. Yeah. And I think it's honestly one of those things. I mean... The early 2000s teen genre was really marked by something that you don't see in a lot of television anymore, which is it's really, especially in the beginning, mm-hmm. when it shows like Dawson's, The O.C., yep. One Tree Hill, there's not really a lot going on in the plot outside of there's the small town drama. not a magical element. I mean, all of our shows, with the exception of Vampire Diaries, yeah. there's no you know fantasy element, no superhero element. And of course, like some are more relatable than others. Like One Tree Hill, Dawson's are about like small town life versus Mm -hmm. like the OC and Gossip Girl are kind of hallmarked by their... The wealthy, privileged, voyeuristic side of things. And completely, you know, not realistic portrayals of wealth. Or the average viewer, I guess. Yeah, Yeah. it's not supposed to be relatable. Um, But regardless of that, they're driven by the relationships. Mm -hmm. All of the plot is bolstered and supported by the relationship drama. And everything else, I think, kind of like shapes the overall story. But this is like the real meat of it. I agree. All right. I'm so excited. We've got a lot of fun awards categories to get into today. Okay. We're going to start, you know, start easy, slow, simple. Um, Starting with our best functional relationships. And I wanted to single out this because I, I sometimes actually feel like the functional relationships get um I don't know maybe overshadowed overshadowed yeah that's the word I'm looking for uh but some of these shows have some really great functional relationships that are just as enjoyable to watch in my opinion as the dysfunctional ones yeah um in fact I wish some some of my favorite dysfunctional relationships (laughs) I wish I had gotten to see them be more functional sometimes. Yeah. I know sometimes it's like, you know, the whole dysfunction is like the the build up to the relationship, mm-hmm. right? And then like as soon as they get together, it's almost like the plot tries to tear them apart again right. or the show or the season ends. But they really don't. I mean, I think these relationships prove that they don't need to for those relationships to continue no. to be interesting. Um, okay. So when you think of your top functional relationship over all these shows, what's the one that comes to mind First and foremost for Okay, you. so for me, and like, I'm definitely biased by the order in which I probably saw these shows, but I will always think of Nathan and Haley from One Tree Hill. 
And yeah. not that they didn't have their drama. I mean, obviously, season two. But for the most part, for the bulk of the series, they were extremely functional, um, which is strange because extremely healthy they portrayal. got married in high school, which yeah. we're just going to kind of gloss over that. But it's, yeah, it's an extremely healthy portrayal. They have conflict. They deal with it in mature ways for the most part. Um, and I think they continue to be extremely interesting to watch their on screen on screen chemistry, even when, you know, in the later seasons where they are pretty like solid. Um, but, you know, watching them learn how to be parents together, watching them um, deal with, you know, different drama in their respective friends lives, their joint friends lives. Um, I love it. I could watch them all day. I think it's kind of wild that. Well, not only do they get married in the first season, yeah. which is truly Wild. crazy, crazy. I love how, like, if you watch that as a teenager, you're like, yeah, yeah like, totally. of course they should be getting married <laughs> at 16. Like, that's totally fine. But barring the whole Chris Keller plot line and, like, their brief split in season two and then their reconciliation in season three, like, they're together and solidly married and kind of, like, mm-hmm. the lifeblood and backbone of, like, the romantic yep. relationships for the whole yeah. Series. I know. They get to, I mean, their first like scene together, I want to say is like, I don't know, episode three or something. Um, yeah. And they're there through the end. And Which is crazy. Because I, I think like, you know, the hallmark of most of these shows is like the makeups and the breakups. You have to keep mm-hmm. the plot churning. You have to keep the How, audience All guessing. the different ways we can pair people together. Will they end up together? <laughs> Are they endgame? And with Haley and Nathan, like they kind of defy all of the teen drama mm-hmm. tropes. They are endgame. That's proven in season I mean, I guess, like, as yeah, soon as there was the- like hardly any. I don't think there was any doubt about it. Yeah. After season one. Yeah. I mean, like there was maybe the, the yeah, brief, you know, the brief breakup. But then after that, it's like they're dealing with, uh, you know, a range of real to not so real <laughs> <laughs> problems in their marriage. I mean, like a kidnapping right? versus nanny like, <laughs> you know, Nanny Carrie, uh, like an evil nanny uh, about yeah. to abduct their child. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, just typical cu- couple things. But like. They are, remain interesting to watch and you remain rooting for them. And that's like very, mm-hmm. I think, atypical for how I root for relationships because I like the drama. Yeah. I mean, not I also too like much drama, where you're like, okay, but... this is a little insufferable, but yeah. Yeah. All right. So um, I have some honorable mentions mm-hmm. before I will let you take over. I think this counts as functional. I mean, within the context of high school, like, but uh, Julie and Matt from Friday Night Lights. I mean, Julie has her like personal dysfunction that does get in the way. But for the most part, like when they are together, they have a very healthy relationship that is like warms my heart. Um, That's true. They felt very true to life. I think all of the teen shows, I mean, we we joke about, you know, they're like 30 year olds Mm -hmm. playing these teenagers Mm -hmm. and sometimes the relationship dynamics are not real right. relationship dynamics that actually happen in high school. But with Julie and Matt, they, they like felt really like a real high so school real. relationship. Um, I also really, uh, this is random and like, you're the real vampire diary queen, but mm-hmm. I kind of went in and out of watching vampire diaries. And when, one of the times when I like, got back in was when, um, was second to last season, uh, yeah, when Bonnie seven. and Enzo got together. And I actually, really enjoyed them in yep. like I mean and I was never even like a huge Bonnie fan at the beginning of the show I mean I liked her but I wasn't like you know mm. a major Bonnie stan but I just really enjoyed them together they Enzo became a much more interesting character so when much they more got interesting. together I, yeah 
they've struck gold when they figured out mm-hmm. that that was something that they wanted to pursue. I mean, of course, they they really did themselves a service with like the time jump element of the seventh season where it's like right. toggling back between like present day and like three years in the future and how they like do that fun little bait. Mm-hmm. That was so switch, fun. Where they're like, oh my gosh, how you see how the heck do they get together? together? They had like no scenes together prior to this. And exactly. Um, so that was really fun. And then building up that chemistry. And then they were, they were like, he was more compelling when he was with her. And of course, Bonnie deserves the world and exactly. he treats her so well. Mm-hmm. That's a great honorable mention okay now you maggie who's your fave well i'm gonna pick one that i think is also mm-hmm. your fave but i stole it out from underneath yes. you to talk about um and that is the true the one true pairing of all of the shows in my mind can you guess tammy and eric uh. from friday night lights <laughs> can you think of a better oh more God. solid functional couple than tammy and eric and so interesting to watch, right? So interesting to watch. I think what draws me the most to them is like they're very different people. And you can just immediately in like the first episode, I know we've touched on this before talking about the pilot, but you just see the trust and the love and the intimacy and like their little moments from like the very first scene that mm-hmm. they have together. And I think that their relationship, obviously they go through struggles and marital ups and downs, but you never question their faithfulness to each other. You never question how much they respect each other, how much they support each other. All of their arguments, their disagreements feel very authentic, true to life, but you always know that they have each other's back. Like they truly are to me like the paradigm of a, a lovely marriage you know how people can weather some pretty crazy challenges and stick together and choose one another through all of that um especially as different you know like with different personalities and different goals and different objectives and they are not free of disagreements throughout the course Mm -hmm. of the series like I know like when he's made certain decisions and right when he takes the coaching job yes beginning of season two it was tough yeah, or um, even like when he opposes some of the things that she does as yeah. principal mm-hmm. um, and the disagreements that they have. But they also like lend such a comedic yeah. energy to some of it. And it's just, it also makes you wonder why more of these shows couldn't figure out how to make more interesting adult characters um, and adult parent yeah. relationships. Like, you know, I think that it really stands out. I mean... Some of them try, like I feel like Gossip Girl tries, but it just doesn't. It falls flat. Mm. Um, I mean, I'm not a Rufus. We call Friday Night girl. Lights a teen drama, and it is, but the main characters really aren't. I mean, yeah, the main, true. they are the main characters. I think of our show yeah. selection, it's definitely the one that kind of like toggles the line a little bit because of Tammy and Eric. I mean, you yeah. know, everyone else, if you look, I mean, like the bulk of the cast is our teenagers, our teenagers, but. Um, and you just have to hand it the to the, the uh, Kyle Chandler and Connie mm-hmm. Britton. Their brilliant chemistry mm-hmm. and choices as actors to just ground you in the reality of their relationship throughout five seasons is just mm-hmm. truly impeccable. They're amazing. I love them. We love them. My honorable mentions, um, well, okay, they're not the most functional, but for the most part, they stay together mm-hmm. for the majority. Once they figure it out, they figure it out. And that's Seth and Summer. I love them. Love Seth and Summer. They are, you know, classic opposites attract. They are the comedic, I think, heart of the OC. Mm -hmm. Without them, you really, truly wouldn't have a show. And they, for me, they operate as like a great foil in contrast to Ryan and Marissa, who are just 
really the definition of dysfunction. Mm-hmm. I can't even count the number of times they get together and then break up and then get back together and then break up. And that was kind of like the driving force of the plot of the show for a really long time, which is why, as we will get to in the hot takes section, I have my own opinions about that. But Seth and Stummer relative stability mm-hmm. I think provided some sort of grounding in the show and just you know kind of really gave you something to root for that was really entertaining yeah to watch. and I feel like when people talk about that show you know it's it's Seth and Summer is the number one relationship yeah. and and it wasn't the planned one right I think well, no Summer's it character wasn't. wasn't I mean at least if you're thinking about from the pilot yeah um and I love the one that I mean we have a couple of those in this list but they started exploring it rel- relatively early on into the season, but you're right. Because mm-hmm. Rachel Bilson was hired later, I mean, she had such a brief role in the beginning, and then they really decided to flesh out her character and give her, um, you know, more. I think she was, I don't quote me on this. I will fact check this later, but I think she was upgraded to series regular after the Tijuana episode, mm, okay. which is when they uh, originally had like scripted it just yep. in case they didn't get picked up. But yeah. And then my last honorable mention is Julian and Brooke. I love them. I really do too. I think Brooke deserved somebody that was really going to fight mm-hmm. for her. Um, after all of that bullshit with Lucas. And I think Julian was that guy. And even though they got together in the back half of the series, which obviously I think is no secret that is a weaker Mm -hmm. half of the series in comparison to the first half, which feels like the real true bulk of the show. They were a great bright spot and their marriage and subsequent children Mm -hmm. um, was really, I also thought it was interesting. I mean, especially rewatching again, I I almost felt like Julian's character was a little bit of a bait and switch. Like when he first, Mm. like the first couple episodes he was in, I think they were kind of figuring out the characterization. Like he was almost, he was portrayed more as like a little bit of a bad guy. And then once they realized that he's actually just this like dorky, sweet guy, that was when it really um, hit home and felt special to me. Yeah. And I kind of like that he serves as a little bit of a foil to Lucas. Like Mm -hmm. Lucas is the kind of person that, you know, doesn't really know what he wants and then when he does like he goes back on his mind a lot mm. i'm sorry for the lucas slander in, in advance but um he you know he cheats on brooke twice with yeah. with peyton and ultimately chooses peyton after you know telling brooke many times that she's the one he wants uh and i know we have our own opinions on why yeah we think that they weren't given a fair shot and i think it probably you know in our hypothesis had a lot to do with the fact that chad and um sophia we're going through a divorce yeah. during the time of their like height mm. in the series. But I thought it was interesting that Julian, you know, was Peyton's boy first mm. and then ultimately ends up picking Brooke. And I thought like, I don't know if that was intentional or if the writers even realized mm. that the kind of foil that they were creating, yeah. but it was really nice to see in a show that unfortunately in my mind kind of pits the two against each other, Brooke and Peyton with their love interests so much. Um, but, you know, maintains a strong friendship throughout the majority of the show. See someone pick Brooke for a I change. I know, I know. It was... She deserves it. His best quality. Um, okay. Yeah. Now, going into best dysfunctional, um, which by nature of these... Well, by nature of television, but then especially by nature of being these... Uh, these being teen shows, there's a lot of dysfunction available. <laughs> um, a lot of different types of dysfunction. A lot of different types. 
And my favorite to watch. And one that, like I was saying, I actually wish sometimes I had a little bit more of their functional side. Um, but still my favorite nonetheless is Logan and Veronica. Who is surprised? Not me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I... They were just so, I don't know. I just always felt like they were so well matched mm. with each other um, in terms of their intelligence, their wittiness, and their, I mean, honestly, their, like, meanness sometimes, too. Like, yeah. they could both, like, give it as well as they could get. Um, but it was also, I mean, and it was also interesting to see they kind of took, like, I felt like opposite paths, um, like, as... Logan became a better person. Um, a, I felt like he was like making progress in terms of character development. I kind of felt like Veronica was backsliding yeah. and getting like less trust. Like, actually got deeper into the private investigator world. And I think saw like the dark, seedy side of humanity. Like, she got even less trusting. Um, and that was a a huge tension, but I nevertheless, I wanted them to figure it out. And I mean, we'll just have to have this combo. I don't know another time, but <sighs> season four ending like is did. not canon. If, anyone's, ah! if you have seen season four fellow listeners, we just decide to take that last, you know, I mean, two minutes were, doesn't exist in one ways like they they did finally get it together in terms of the relationship front and then obviously other things happened that no, will not didn't. be named they didn't happen that was fake um <laughs> so that was frustrating it was frustrating that we didn't get you know a little more or at least you know a happy ending whatever i still love them they're um, still perfect yeah with all of their imperfections yeah they're one of the best couples in tv ever and it just I mean, it, it became so evident to the viewer. I mean, at the end of season three, right, they're trying to, like, pair her off with Piz. And it's just like, what are you doing? Like, everyone knows that there is only one option for each of these two individuals, and it's each other. And let's just stop messing around. You know what I don't think gets enough credit? Is the Veronica Mars movie... When they finally get back together after like years mm. apart and like that gorgeous scene where they're like yeah. smooching in his living room. Yes. <laughs> I love that so much. I mean, we talk a lot about like the show and the, you know, the fourth season, which I, for all intents and purposes is really great. And you do get to see them kind of like in a committed relationship mm. and him be the backbone and her be the crazy chaotic yep. force. Um but I kind of love some of the scenes in the movie. I agree. I agree. Maybe we, sh- I mean... Yeah, because even like the beginning of season four, it just felt like a backtrack um, in terms of their relationship or particularly Veronica's own uh, character development. But yeah. nonetheless, take what I can get. Yeah. And ultimately, they ended up in the, together in the end, not barring those last two minutes, which, yeah. like we said, don't exist. Um, okay, I have two that are pretty much tied for me. One that I enjoy more than the other, but that are like the picture of dysfunction. And that's Damon and Elena and Chuck and Blair. We'll start with Damon and Elena, I guess. Um, I was, am, you know, a solid Delena shipper. (laughs) I was always team Damon. Um, Though I will say... I was from the end of season one, that scene. That wasn't even really... (laughs) 
<laughs> it's one of the best scenes. Elena, but that the scene where Damon thinks he's kissing Elena in the series. Sorry, in the season one finale. Mm-hmm. Um, again, spoiler warning for literally everything in this podcast. But when he kisses quote unquote Elena thinking it's Elena and then you end up finding out like maybe a couple minutes later when she stabs mm. John's hand that it's actually Catherine one of the best reveals an incredible ever. scene it's an incredible scene um but I you know I was shipping them from the very very start I love how I mean ultimately like if you kind of think about the whole overarching plot like it's like it, Stefan is the kind of—I mean, he's kind of the creepy one. Like he comes back to pursue mm. Elena, knowing that she looks like Catherine, and kind of like gets into this relationship with her. Like, oh, she, but she's so wonderful. But the whole reason he's stalking her is because she looks like his ex-girlfriend. Whereas Damon wants nothing to do with Elena, okay, because of the fact that she looks like his ex-girlfriend, <laughs> and is just truly obsessed with his ex-girlfriend Catherine the whole time. And then ultimately ends up falling in love with Elena gradually over time um and I actually like it because I actually feel like the whole the like the fact that Elena just kind of writes off the fact that like he's been kind of stalking her for months because she looks just like his ex like (laughs) that's creepy that's really alarming and I kind of enjoy their origin story but that's just the origin story I mean throughout the entire series I mean they really do draw them out in a way that I think like they they revealed their love for each other. I think just like the perfect point, like it was like perfect mm-hmm. slow burn. It offered the perfect tension. Season three is by far, in my opinion, the best season of the Vampire Diaries. It's, it's fantastic, um, and you really get the kind of like tension between she's broken up with Stefan and he's kind of gone off the rails, and she's gotten closer to Damon, and she's like warring with her love for the two brothers, um, and it's kind of like all hitting its peak. But you know. Is it the most feminist love story of all time? Like, absolutely <laughs> not. I mean... Well, we talked about that, right? With the... You know, Stefan actually allows Elena to have a lot more personal agency. At least yeah. normal Stefan. <laughs> yes, um, at least normal Stefan. <laughs> and then Damon is like, you know, like, I, you don't get to make your own choices as long as it keeps you alive, which some might consider hot and sexy. Um, but I actually just think it's interesting because, like, I don't really want to pit like pitting the two brothers to get against each other as like who's the better match may not be the most compelling question but it is interesting that we make more ex- and they the show does talk about this they make more excuses for Stefan mm. than they make for Damon whereas like Damon's pretty consistent through the whole time he's like a little bit of a sociopath the whole time whereas like people make excuses for Stefan when he goes like fully off the rails mm. as being not real Stefan and like mm-hmm. the nice kind Stefan is the real Stefan and I think that's not fair. It's like, nope, they're both him. Off the rails, him is him. Yeah. And kind, amazing Stefan is him. And so you don't just get to pick and choose for one brother and not the yeah. other. Um, but anyway, he makes her more interesting. And that's what we love. And he's just a more interesting character to watch. That's true. Even though rewatching it for the fourth time, I do kind of have like a new appreciation for Stefan's arc. So anyway, <laughs> they're crazy. We will talk more about them later, I'm sure, in many episodes to come when we're talking about episodes and scenes mm-hmm. and everything. But... In terms of function, not it. In terms of juiciness and drama, I mean, peak. Watchability. Top tier. Chuck and Blair. And that's, yeah, I agree with this too. This is one of mine. <laughs> Do you want to talk a little bit I mean, about them? I mean, Chuck and Blair are that relationship that like I kind of hated myself for enjoying. Yeah. <laughs> really? Like long after I like kind of fell off with Gossip Girl, 
I was still really invested in their storyline, even though, why? (laughs) (laughs) Why? They're both kind of terrible. I mean, but there's something about... Only one of them tried to trade, proposition his ex-girlfriend to his... Fair. Uncle? But I think... In return for a hotel. So then why did we want her to be with him? I don't know. I don't know either. But I did. We all did. We all (laughs) fell prey to the chaos that was Chuck and Blair. The chemistry. And their true self-destruction and how they would try to destroy the other person. And we just knew, like, I think the whole time that they were, like, the one true endgame pairing. And so you did want to root for them to, like, finally get their shit together and be together, I guess. Despite all of the, like, literal crazy Mm -hmm. stuff that they did and did to each other. Yep. Look, I am not making a single excuse for Chuck's behavior at all throughout the series. <laughs> um, I mean, he we already talked about his actions in the pilot and, you know, he did try to trade his girlfriend for a hotel and mm-hmm. somehow that ends up getting forgiven though we do kind of love uh you know when chuck loses his memories and like is saved by floor delacour and like <laughs> some of his like, i mean they just had great scenes like yeah every scene that they were together like i don't know i could watch it 10 times it's really true and maybe yeah. that was you know the heart of it and why it just worked so well um but i mean the real picture of dysfunction here yeah okay some honorable mentions um okay two from Gilmore Girls I mean I lo- I am a Jess stan through and through it will always be Jess for me but no one can like argue that the bulk of their relationship was like healthy yeah I mean we we root for Jess I think as the collective speaking for the collective Jess fan is <laughs> because he's the only character while he only has a couple episodes where he came back that shows real true character development mm-hmm. and ultimately becomes the kind of person that you would want to see Rory with someone that's independent that's gone after his dreams that matches her intellect that supports her uh that kind of is like the Luke character uh in the you know Jess being Luke and Logan being Christopher kind Mm -hmm. of parallels um and obviously has much better more significant character development than uh than Dean and <laughs> was hitting the peak of his character development when Logan was at his peak assholery. Yeah. So I think there's some of that, you know, we root for just because of this though. I mean, we all know the appeal of a bad boy. I mean, Milo Ventimiglia, but he was, I mean, a little bit of a chaos agent <laughs> for the majority of seasons three and four. And ultimately mm-hmm. when he leaves her and runs off to be with his father for the failed spinoff and anyway you get it but he is so fun to watch many of our favorite relationships were killed by spinoffs either failed or successful looking at you the originals <laughs> <laughs> so maybe people should just quit it with the spinoffs okay? yeah and then i think <laughs> another honorable mention from there it's like and maybe people will disagree with me on this and they, you should send us an email so we can hear your thoughts, but is Luke and Lorelai. Mm-hmm. I actually feel like Luke and Lorelai weren't that functional and we're not going to be talking about the revival <laughs> and the fact that it took them 10 years yeah. to get married and how unbelievable to that even, is. even like have the conversation. <laughs> yeah. We not, not an ounce of believability that to us, the revival is not canon and does not exist. But I mean, you know, as much as we love a slow burn, it took them a little too long to recognize their feelings for each other, though it was very rewarding when it paid off. Mm -hmm. I rooted for them the whole time. I am obsessed with them. But, you know, I mean, the arrival of like Luke's 
daughter. secret daughter and like how that tore apart the relationship and the fact that you really don't get Luke and Lorelai together for really more than a season of the yeah. seven season run is kind of a shame. Like, you know, you think after spending so long that they would have built this amazing foundation and it kind of, you get it for a little bit and then it feels like it's too easily shaken. Yeah. Um, and I know that's like, we can critique that as being like plot and writing, but I mean, ultimately they do get back together. I love them so much. I was one of the big reasons why I like was so hooked on the show in the beginning. I was just like rooting for Luke and Lorelai the whole time, but yeah. And then I don't even really want to talk about them too much, but Ryan and Marissa, I mean, if you've watched the OC, you know why they're dysfunctional and that's because they can never stay together. So you'd say they're not the best dysfunctional, but but they might be the most dysfunctional. Mm -hmm. So you have to mention them in this category. Okay, so now we're going to move into best friendships. So, I think this might be my favorite category. Yeah, I mean, we love the romantic ships, but a lot of these shows have some really beautiful friendships that are just as much reasons that we watch as those uh, romantic relationships. Yeah. So one of the first... Um, as much chemistry, too. Mm-hmm, that is fun because... So One Tree Hill was originally set up you know, it's a show about these two brothers. And I do enjoy the Lucas and Nathan um, brotherhood that develops, although I think they could have done more with it, honestly, later on. Mm, tell me more. What do you think they could well, have done? Well, I just think they, like, I felt like season two, they were, like, really developing, like, their. well, even by the end of season one, beginning of season two, like, they were developing their like brotherhood but then they just had like different plot lines pulling them apart dan was kind of like started sort of pitting them against each other and i just felt like we didn't get as many scenes with them as we could yeah um because i really enjoyed the ones that we did and i loved um when they did kind of still challenge each other later on but in a way that was like you know they cared about each other challenging each other versus in the beginning of the season. Yeah. Uh, sorry, series. But it was interesting that even though that's what the show was intended to be, it really ultimately became a lot more about the women. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah. Yeah. And Brooke and Peyton's friendship becomes, you know, a really core component of the show, at least until obviously Peyton and Lucas leave in the end of season six. And it was, you know, there was a lot of drama, but the beautiful moments were really beautiful. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we'll talk about it more later with the, they'll show up in our love triangle section of this podcast, but ultimately um, they were there. Like you were saying this, right? Brooke, or sorry, Peyton and Brooke a little bit, but especially Peyton, right, is always talking about Lucas uh, saving her. Yes. Do you want to? Yeah, I just was remembering that there was this time. I mean, like, you know, one of the reasons why I gravitate more to Brooke and Lucas when they were together than Peyton and Lucas is just the fact that, like, Luke, uh, Peyton makes a refrain a lot that Lucas, she's drawn to Lucas because he keeps on saving her, whether metaphorically or mm-hmm. physically. I mean, metaphorically and, like, the amount of, emotional support that she leans on him for physically and realistically in like the school shooting episode. And I, in my opinion, kind of feel like she has a little bit of a complex about Mm. that. I mean, Peyton is a 
really traumatized young girl who's gone through a severe amount of grief does not have a therapist you know (laughs) does not seek therapy and um you know, I think one of the reasons why she latches on to Lucas in a way that they, I think the show romanticizes and I do not is because she's like, Lucas saves me. I need to be saved. Mm -hmm. And she honestly says it in some of her lines. Yeah. And I think that there's a moment I'm, and I'll try to remember this episode later, but where she kind of looks to Brooke and she's like, you're the one that saved me. And she's, she makes this comment that like she used to think that it was it was Lucas and now she realizes that in most of it like Brooke has been yeah. the one that is kind of sign- always there for her yeah. uh and yes I mean, they've had their falling outs over boys but always come back together and are the is the real support and like you know saves her from psychoderic right and- I was gonna say <laughs> I mean that episode is like a little uh very gratuitous in a lot of ways and a little on the nose but too. it was satisfying that it was Brooke and not Lucas. And not Lucas. Yeah, like Brooke can be Peyton's hero too. And I mean, we can unpack the Peyton's need to be saved and her lack of desire to save herself in mm-hmm. a lot of ways, though I think she does over the course of the seasons get a lot more resilient in pulling through for herself. But in my opinion, it's always nicer to see a woman lean on another woman yep. for the quote unquote saving than it is on a man and projecting her romantic desires onto him because of that, which I think is very evident in Lucas and uh, Peyton's relationship. But Um, so that is female friendship, a show that I think does a really good job with male friendship is actually Friday night lights. Um, which I guess isn't surprising. Yeah. It's a football team. Um, but <laughs> so a couple of ones that I really enjoy. I mean, I think Matt and Landry's friendship is just amazing comic it's relief fantastic. from like the pilot on. It's just great. Um, they have both, you know, different types of comedy and together it's gold. Even we were talking about um, the Tim and Matt scenes together which there aren't you know a ton of them but that's really fun too because they're very different but by the end um or the end of the series like they really you know have developed a a strong friendship as well and then of course the the tim and jason street um riggins and street friendship is really great you get that wonderful send-off with them in season three i believe with the episode new york new york and you know that's like really impressive of what they overcame quite honestly like started out real rough um you know tim getting with lila behind jason's back after he was paralyzed but the fact that they made it through texas forever um, texas forever is warms my heart even that like kind of silly mexico episode where they like go down and try to stop jason from getting i think the the crazy crazy spinal surgery surgery. like i actually really enjoyed um and lila was there too i actually really enjoyed um that reconciliation um one that i'm not sure i mean is it a friendship um that is also very fun to watch is weevil and veronica oh my god they Um, have the best chemistry yeah it's so odd i don't even know how we like categorize them like they are friends, but they're Frenemies? also not very good friends to each other always. But yeah, frenemies. Like not a healthy depiction of friendship. Yeah. But not, a fun to watch depiction of Fun something. to watch. And it's, you know, it pays off for each of them in different circumstances. Um, but they are 
really quite fun to watch. Uh, and, the, and the interesting, I mean, yeah, I mean, they're just two very different. Well, I don't know. It's not that they're the most different people, but they, you know, you don't, you don't really see friendships like that a whole lot. Um, mm. Male, female, it's not romantic. Two very different. Um, they come from, you know, different social classes, different ethnicities, cultural backgrounds, yeah. cultural backgrounds. They're not in the same social group in any way whatsoever. Um, so that's, you know, pretty, I think it's the most unique one that we have on our list. Yeah. And I think like they have a little bit of like a quid pro quo mm-hmm. friendship. It's like, oh, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yeah. yours, which makes it like more satisfying when like one of them comes through for the other without kind of like yes. having done something to quote unquote earn it. I agree. And sometimes that happens. Like Weevil will come to like Veronica's aid and you're just like, yes, like you want to see it, it happen. <laughs> um, you know, like deep down that they have like real yep. true care for each mm-hmm. other. Can you guess my favorite? <laughs> I think I can. <laughs> it's, do you want to, do you want to give your guess? I'll let you do the honor. Okay. It's Bonnie and Damon. <laughs> yeah. I'm obsessed with Bonnie and Damon. It's fine. I love, 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 love Bonnie and Damon. I think they are my favorite friendship in the whole of our shows that we're talking about. Um, Of course, you could argue that there's obviously better friendships, healthier friendships, whatever, but we're going with my favorite here, and that's Bonnie and Damon. And I just love how the whole throughout the whole series they have such an interesting arc and you know they go from literally hating each other and sometimes being reluctant allies to being stranded together in the prison world and there's that moment at the end of season five where I and I cry watching this part every time where like they both get trapped on the other side as it's collapsing and they're holding each other they he reaches for her hand and she goes I know there's a million other people that you'd rather be here with right now but and then they like hold hands and then he she's like do you think it will hurt and he's like I don't know and then it just goes completely quiet mm-hmm. and that's the end of season five and you're just like what the actual Mm-hmm. what just happened and then watching them like blossom into this like tentative somewhat loving relationship full of banter and like seeing their kind of quips and nicknames for each other kind of turned in on themselves with affection and how they like band together f- to you know kind of defeat Kai and how honestly in my opinion it's like the first time Damon really does something going back to rescue Bonnie and doing what he does for Bonnie I mean he does some things that are very selfish with her as well throughout the course of the rest of the series you know leaving her to go desiccate in the coffin because he thinks he's a danger to all of his friends or you know like betraying her trust to get her to talk to Kai there's a number of things but it's the first time that Damon cares for someone deeply besides his brother and his love for Elena Mm -hmm. like up until then Damon's very much like if it doesn't serve me and my familiar relationship or my the girl I'm trying to get with yeah then it doesn't really matter to me if it's not serving one of those agendas and seeing him like really truly develop this intense immense love for Bonnie I just love it and I think Mm -hmm. they're my two favorite moments with them um are when She's get like Kai like stabs he like links her life to Elena's and then he like stabs her in the neck and you think that 
Damon is going to like let her yeah. die so that Elena will wake up. And at the last possible second, he like whips around, knocks, like literally decapitates <laughs> Kai. And he's like, you think I would leave you here? And he like saves Bonnie. Um, and then the scene in season eight, like after they have their falling out, cause he goes and desiccates and then they're not talking. And then he ultimately like has like memorized the letter that he wrote her where he mm. just talks about how much of an incredible friend she is and how much she goes to bat for everybody and like how much he loves her. And I just think it's really beautiful because I think that, you know, you could argue that like she might be the real indicator of his true character development. Yeah. I mean, you see like him go to bat for seven. You see him, see him go to bat for Elena. But what about something selfless? Not your family, not the girl that you want to yeah. marry or, you know, that you love. Like what about somebody else? And seeing him establish that relationship with Bonnie to me feels so satisfactory, so s- satisfying and they have the best chemistry. Yeah. I'm okay. really curious. Rant over. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Like, I'm curious what went into or how they decided to build that relationship. Because I mm. know that a lot of people, um, like, early on in the show, uh, ship recognize them. ship them and recognize some chemistry between the two um, actors or characters and whatnot. And so, but I mean, and... You know, a lot of shows, if they see that, either they A, ignore it or they B, you know, do put them together in some romantic way. But I loved the decision to to not go the romantic route, yeah, but same. to build upon that chemistry nonetheless. Yeah. So that was what I was, I think, wanting. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't actually ever see them together working romantically. And I actually feel like that would have been very cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. But the fact that they did recognize it and build on it felt like they understood what the viewers wanted and did something in service of the plot that like made a lot of sense. sense. Yep. Um, and then, you know, just, I, I'll, I'll, so we can move on to love triangles. Mm -hmm. Um, my last one, I just love Rory and Paris. I just think they're so funny. I, their friendship and their dynamic and just Paris's neuroticism and their enemies to frenemies to friendships (laughs) arc is just fantastic. And so fun to watch. Any episode with a lot of Paris in it is one I want to rewatch. Yeah. I had a couple just that I wish we had had a little bit more of. Um, Haley and Lucas in Wonder Hill, right? At the beginning of the series, they're like, you know, shown as these, um, you know, they're best friends. They grew up together. And their scenes together are really great. I enjoy it. But I feel like there's so many, like, very important moments in each of their lives that are portrayed on the show in which the other is not there. And I don't know if that was just, you know that was yeah. the product of lazy writing or if it was just, they didn't know, you know, how to write platonic male, female friendships. You got um, some lovely scenes with them, but yeah, I almost I mean, felt like there weren't enough. Right. And just like, again, like the, just, there were so many times where they were just like maybe too off in their own plot silos. Mm. Um, and I just wish we had gotten more of them there for each other. Um, similar. Well, a little bit similar, on Veronica Mars, her and Wallace, I mean, their friendship is really incredible in the first season in particular, but I just feel like they got a little, didn't know what to do with it in the later yeah. seasons. Um, Wallace got more of his own storylines, which was great, um, but I felt like we kind of lost some of their friendship. Yeah. Okay. Now, something these shows, for the most part, do pretty well. And, uh, you know, always a source of drama and intrigue 
Love triangles. Love triangles. Yep. Make a lot of these shows what they are. Or as Brooke Davis once said, a rectangle plus one. What is that? So some of these, I guess, you know, could actually be larger geometric shapes. But we're going to talk mostly about triangles. Um, Maggie, how about you start this one off? Okay. I want to talk a little bit about my is it my favorite love triangle okay a favorite might not be the right adjective to describe this but do I think it's the most impactful love triangle yes because I think it set a very genre defining plot arc for the rest of teen dramas and that is Dawson Joey and Pacey I think they are obviously one of the most iconic love triangles of all time for a ton of reasons um but the main one being the fact that they were born out of a creative decision to try to pair Pacey and Joey together in the wake of Kevin Williamson's departure from being showrunner for Dawson's Creek. So they, he basically, you know, he left the show um, to go pursue other projects and they made Greg Berlanti the, the head showrunner. I don't know if he was the showrunner or one of the head writers, but it was his idea along with the other writers in the room um, to, he had this idea is like, what if we put Joey and Pacey together? And everyone like freaked out. They were like, but that's Dawson's girl, which I think is so, so funny that like the possessiveness of Dawson and his ownership over Joey had weed in its way into the writer's room as well. From what I can mm-hmm. gather through reading like interviews and like reflections on it. Um, but they basically what they were needing, they were kind of running out of story and they were like, we need like a machine that's yeah. going to keep the plot going. And they decided to test out the love triangle and thank God they did <laughs> because in terms of the show, like that's what the show became. The mm-hmm. show became the love triangle. And it's almost funny to look back at seasons one and two and not even have it there yeah. because it really is like the beating heart and the plot machine of the remaining seasons. And season three is, such an incredible season because they I think they handled Joey and Pacey with such care um it's the a true slow burn which you know I love (laughs) um and they really do their relationship so much justice and you can see like the tension building and building and building as they both realize that they have feelings for each other and he doesn't know what the heck to do about it because he's like I can't go after Joey because she's Dawson's girl and then Joey's like I that would be a, and then realizing what she feels and then feeling mm-hmm. like it would be a huge betrayal of Dawson and then ultimately when they do get together and then it blows up in their face and then she ultimately chooses Pacey at the end of season three um I, and it also just begs like those really interesting questions around like sex and ownership mm-hmm. and what it means for someone like Dawson to feel like he has entitlement over Joey's love you know he gets very upset when he finds out later in season four that she slept with him and she he feels entitled almost to knowing about it it's disgusting um and she feels guilty for doing it so it just kind of like which as a viewer you're just like oh like he Mm. has so much hold over her um did but not age well. It, did, it definitely <laughs> didn't. But I think it's actually interesting. Like, it's mm-hmm. interesting to dissect and think about. And Pacey, you know, the whole time is just, like, love is so much more mature and, like, treats her with so much more respect and love and gives her so much more 
as you should gives her so much more freedom um and sees parts of her that you know Dawson doesn't and I think kind of refuses to because I think he sees Joey as like almost objectifying in some ways um and of course it's very gratifying when you see them choose each other Mm -hmm. in the end um which I don't know if we're gonna we should talk about here but we can maybe talk about it later in our season finales Mm because that was a really interesting creative choice and I really want to talk about that more but I just think it's fantastic because and there's so much to talk about here but they really set up the genre if you can call a love triangle a genre but they they set up the trope trope for the next decade pretty and like firmly cemented it Mm -hmm. in tv culture and you know was such a great example of not just like a quick love triangle that like fuels the season but like it fueled the show Mm -hmm. and in a way that felt believable yeah you didn't kind of get like oh my god after a while it like Mm -hmm. felt true to the to the plot anyway that's my rant about them and how much I think that's very interesting and very gratifying because she picks who I wanted her to pick in the end Mm. spoiler alert um some other ones we love we've talked about some of them already but obviously Steph and Damon and Elena one of the most iconic love triangles of all time (laughs) um Brooke Payton and Lucas which we actually Mm. have mixed feelings about yeah I think in general I'm always going to be on the side of two guys and one girl in a mm, in a like you know a kind of yeah. like a heteronormative love triangle than two girls and one guy I just I'll never feel happy watching two girls who are better than the guy right. fight each other for him when I'm like he doesn't deserve any either of you mm-hmm. but I do kind of find it validating watching two guys fight over a girl because I'm like yes yep. you should fight for her because she rocks <laughs> Ooh. um we can unpack that later another that we like um Jason, Tim, and Lila. I mean, at least for for the drama. Um, and then, you know what I realized? So all of those that we've talked about so far, it's, well, the there's a friendship that's involved, right? Either the two girls or the two guys, or, or in the case of Stefan and Damon, it's, you know, they're brothers. brothers. Um, so it's like the the romantic interests, like the other gender, right, is, is kind of messing up this bond. Um which, you know, provides great drama. The last one that isn't the case, Tim, Lila, and Tyra. Yeah, that's true. Lila and Tyra do not like each other. So maybe that's why we think that that one really should have been a throuple. Totally should have been a throuple. (laughs) I think with love triangles in general, like, they should, in most cases, should just become a throuple. But I think that's more the case when... There's a the two compete um, people in competition are like rivals. Yes, right. Because like, a lot of like times sexier. we don't really want to see like. I mean, sometimes it's nice if like friends get together or whatever. Um, but I'm always a fan of like rivals getting together yeah. over like oh yeah rivals friends lover. lovers. So it's like, but like yeah. there, it always begs the question: Why not not have a threesome mm-hmm. unless you are brothers going yeah. after the same girl? In which case, <laughs> do not have a threesome. But why not have a threesome? And I think of all the tri- love triangles here, the one that I would most like to see in a threesome would be Tim, Lila, and Tyra. I yeah. mean, they're all very hot, mm-hmm. extremely mm-hmm. hot people, and I'd be very down. Yep. I mean, there was just sorry, too much antagonism between Lila and Tyra. Like, come on. Something was going Too on Too much sexual <laughs> chemistry. You can't deny it. Okay. So the next category, we have two names for it. Gone Too Soon 
and or done dirty. So these yeah. are relationships that were, in our opinion, gold, were great. And they either, we didn't have enough of them. They ended too soon for us. Or they just had a really shitty ending, even if it yeah. occurred at the end of the series. <laughs> yeah. Um, so first up, you've heard us talk about them before, but Jake and Peyton on One Tree Hill. Of all the couples in all the land, this is the one that was probably done the dirtiest by factors that were not in our control, which was him getting another job. Yeah. <laughs> it just, I mean... Like we've talked about before, I mean, we enjoyed Peyton the most when she was, when with, Jake. She was with Jake. And yeah. I think that is, you know, a sign that you have a great relationship, at least a great TV relationship that you should keep going with. <laughs> um, you know, especially like the way it ended, like they got back together, they met back up with each other in season three, and it was a great episode. Such and they episode. had just as much chemistry as they always did. And then, like, within half an episode, like by the next episode, he was telling her to go back to Lucas because she said his name, name in, her sleep? in her sleep, apparently. And I don't know. Can it you was imagine? So I dream about the weirdest lazy. people. I dreamt about Marissa Tomei, of all people, <laughs> last night. Like, can you imagine if I just said someone, some random person's name in my sleep, which I'm sure I do regularly? Like, it's like, oh, no, that's who you're fated to be with. You must leave. It was such a bummer. I mean, I could have been okay even with them, you know, just deciding that their lives just weren't compatible at that current moment. It always read as false to me that mm -hmm. she was like, I was fated to be with Lucas. Lucas and I were always fated to be together. Like, they were always meant to be endgame. And when it just was so clear to me and to us, I guess, Mm -hmm. like, that she was so much stronger with Jake first of all there was no betraying of her best friend Mm -hmm. with Jake there was no cheating on you know with sleeping with or hooking up with your best friend's boyfriend when she was with Jake like there was with Lucas there was not this interesting savior complex like she was just as much there for his child as like there it seemed much more equal and compatible it didn't feel like so damsel in distress e Mm -hmm. and like there was just better chemistry in yep. my opinion. So when all of a sudden so she was like, chemistry. I like a couple episodes later into season four, she's like full on head over heels into Lucas, yeah. whereas she was just head over heels into Jake. It just didn't, I just didn't believe it. Yeah. And you forgot about Pete Wentz right before. Oh my that. God. Pete Wentz. Remember oh when she's so hooked up with Pete Wentz, oh like God. actual Pete Wentz. Right. Another gone too soon is Rory and Jess, which we've talked about. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it, yeah, it did feel like there was some mispotential to yeah. loop that back in towards the end. Toward or, the end. And I know some people like the fact that like she kind of turned him down in season six when she like goes to see his printer and it's like the one episode he's in and she ends up telling him that she's still in love with Logan. Um, but I just felt like you know, he did have the greatest character development, like we said, but it would have been nice to see more of it. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then two that are more on the uh, done dirty side of things are, first off, Body and Enzo. Oh, my God. It so just sad. felt so pointless. Yeah. 
Um, they're ending with Stefan killing, killing Enzo. So once dumb. Bonnie is finally happy. Like, not even, you know, more for Bonnie's sake as a character. Yeah. Like, didn't she, she deserve more? It. She deserved it. She, she deserved absolutely to be happy. Did. Yeah. And it just felt like a little kick in the gut. And I know there was like that scene in the finale where she's like running off to go travel the world and like Enzo's ghost spirit is with her or whatever, like, you know, following along with her. No, no, she does a lot of things you can't do with a ghost spirit. There's a lot. I'm just saying many, many (laughs) things that don't work properly when they are just spirit Uh, energy. And then kind of similar to that uh, is the ending that will not be named with Veronica and Logan. So dirty. Are you kidding me? I, again, like they were already so dysfunctional. Like we had so little function with them. Like, couldn't we, I guess they wanted to keep the series going and they thought, well, that, okay. If they really did think the series was going to keep going and they thought for some reason that their romantic female lead just was going to be dragged down. Um, sorry, their female lead was going to be dragged down by having a romance. Like, I don't know. It just made no sense. Like, I know they were trying to go it the whole, cheap. like, I don't know, tragic noir Plus side of things. But subversive for the sake of right. being subversive. In case and but you guys don't know, they blew Logan up. Yeah. In yeah, the last, literally. like, couple minutes of the show. Yeah. I mean, what would really be subversive would be to have your female lean have it all but also if they didn't want to keep having logan in scenes he had a very convenient job he was that could have allowed him to not be in like full seasons at a time yes totally he was in the navy so if you find the romantic plot boring that's fine or inhibiting let me have it in my mind off screen while he's away on a boat um don't blow him up. Don't blow him up. It also just felt like a little too, I mean, like Veronica, the one fault I will give Veronica Mars is like, it can border on trauma porn, yep. in my opinion, sometimes. Like, mm-hmm. she undergoes like a little bit like too much trauma. It feels gratuitous. Yeah, so I'm like, are you really going to like blow up her one true love at the end of the season and then just be like, she rode off in a storm of grief. The end, like, but the sun is shining, like, so she'll be okay. No, so that's why we just are like the the and also we end like our story. Yeah, early. it was for her and and for Logan. Like in my mind, like by the end, well, like I kind of considered them like co leads by the end. Yeah. Um. So just not not okay with that. Not okay with that. Okay. Okay, I think we should probably split this into two parts, don't you? I agree. Because we have a lot more to talk about. <laughs> a lot more relationships that we need to pay some honor to, to have some conversations about, mm-hmm. to make sure that we we touch on. I mean, just planning this episode just was a reminder of just like how much there is that we can say. Yep. And I know that it's basically everything we do, there's going to be so much more that we want to have a conversation about. So don't forget, if you have any questions or comments, feel free, of course, to email us at showsoverbrospod. Don't hesitate. Showsoverbrospod at gmail.com is our email. Drop your questions, your comments. We want to hear from you. And then you can also find us on Instagram and TikTok at showsoverbrospod. Yeah, that's basically it. So we'll see you next week for more. Perfect. Can't wait. Bye. Bye.